Today on Physically Spiritual, I have the honor of talking with Sam Kelly, the founder of Fierce Athlete. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. I'm so grateful that today, uh, Samantha Kelly is on the show to talk to us. Sam is the founder and current president of Fierce Athlete. She played Division I soccer at UConn and is currently involved with competitive rowing. She spent over 12 years working for Catholic nonprofits and outreaching to female athletes. She graduated with a master's in Catholic psychology, holds a certificate in strength and conditioning, and has extensively studied the theology of the body. It was through the theology of the body and the Catholic Church that she discovered what it means to be both feminine and athletic. These teachings have the power to heal, and through Fierce Athlete, she desires to share those truths with female athletes and women across the world. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thanks for having me, Andrew. It's great to be here. Yeah. As we start, I always like to ask people to start, like, how does the work you do, the mission you're about in God's kingdom come out of your story? Hmm. That's a great question because God uses everything in our lives to, to point us towards our mission. Um, so, so the work I do with Fierce Athlete is promoting true identity and femininity in female mm-hmm. athletics. It's definitely a, a, a niche audience, but one that uh, wasn't being met, I felt. And so, as you yeah. said in my bio, you know, I was a Division One athlete. You know, I was a huge, like, nine-time state champion in high school. You know, God really blessed me with this beautiful athletic ability. Um, but unfortunately, uh, that really was my identity. Mm. And after uh, suffering a pretty extensive, what they called a career-ending injury my senior year of high school, um, I really had this identity crisis going into college. And I mean, through a lot of rehab and, and hard work and three sur- four surgeries, and you know, I was able to come back from that injury. But, but you know, when, whenever God does something physical, he always does something spiritual. And so I felt like you know, I really had four heart surgeries as I was getting these four, four knee surgeries. And um, God used that to really show me that my identity wasn't in what I did or in what my teammates or my coach or my parents thought of me. Um, but it was just in the, the, the simple and, and profound truth that I am a daughter of God, period. And I didn't realize that until... Um, you know, I had an encounter with Christ my junior year of college when I was in a pretty dark place. Mm. Um, but, but that reality propelled me forward uh, to want to share that truth with, I mean, female athletes. But then I kind of, kind of reached this second roadblock. You know, you, you introduce people to Christ, and that is the answer. That is always the answer. But then there's all this other stuff, right? There's all this other sin and struggle that really prevents people from letting Christ in. And it was that that I felt like I didn't have the answer to. I didn't have the anecdote until um, I had ended up becoming a missionary uh, with an organization called Focus and Varsity Catholic specifically for five years. But my fifth year as a missionary, I um, was encouraged by my spiritual director to attend a Theology of the Body course. And suddenly I felt like I had the anecdote. You know, I was, I was learning the beauty of the female body, the beauty of female sexuality, what it is to be feminine. And I took that message and started sharing it with female athletes. And I mean, 
athletes, we don't cry, you know, we're tough. And I had rooms full of women in tears and I was like, I'm hitting a nerve here. Yeah. And um, so that was kind of that, that second propelling forward to, to actually form Fierce Athlete, an organization that is specifically for women, for the women's heart, um, to speak about these things and help women really integrate them as they're, you know, facing the, the intense pressures of, of high-end female athletics. Yeah, I can relate to that. I, so I was a, a high school wrestler. And um, I wasn't quite at the the level that you were, it sounds like. I just kind of got to the state level. I didn't win at all. But um, going into college, was, it, was, it was a shift of identity for me, too, because I had um, I was at, at Ohio State on the club discerning whether or not to try to walk onto the team. And um, in that process, the Lord was working on my heart, and I felt called into the seminary. Mm. Um, but while at the same time I blew my knee up for the first time, which um, then in the next four years after that, I had four knee surgeries um, from different injuries. Uh, and I think that my, my fall might have been a little more cushioned because the Lord was already kind of pulling me in to the faith as that injury had happened. Um, and I went into the seminary then the next year. Um, but yeah, just that, that dynamic of, of losing something that was so core to my identity because uh, Christ had had found me when I was in junior high. Like that's when my faith had started, but I still put so much of my identity in being an athlete and in performance. And when that was gone, I had to like figure out what to fill my life with. <laughs> and I realized that like God had given me the gift of faith, but like I wasn't doing anything with it. I was just kind of selfishly using it. Um, yeah. So I can really relate to, to your story. I I'm curious as you, you talked about that, that moment of finding Christ, you said when you were a junior, I think, like, what was that moment like? Gosh, it's, it's hard to describe in words. Um, I had, I had actually met a focus missionary. So focus, the fellowship of Catholic university students for the listeners is an organization that takes recent college graduates and puts them back on campus. And I mean, God, God has total control of my life. The, you know, he moves mountains for me. My junior year, um, at that point, I'd kind of been on and off going to Mass. Yeah. And I went to Mass during preseason to escape preseason. It was like my only motivation. And um, I was the only student at Mass because it was early August, so we were there before the regular student population. And it was Focus's, I didn't know this at the time, but it was Focus's first ever day on campus. <laughs> like, ever. And, of course, I was the first student they met. Um, and so it just, like, yeah, God totally arranged that. Um, and my heart was, was open to faith at that point. Um, I knew I needed it. And so mm. when I was invited to join a Bible study, uh, you know, I did. Um, but that winter, I got basically semi-forced, semi-challenged to go uh, to a focus conference. And, um, you know, I went, I, there was a priest from UConn. He, he wasn't on campus. He was the vocations director of the diocese. And um, he was a huge sports fan. And just a huge sports guy himself. And we ended up being on the same flight down to Florida to this conference together. And he just spoke my language. We had a whole conversation about faith and athletics and, and, how, and, it was, and how they integrated and how they integrated into the sacramental life. And I felt like this new world was being opened up to me. But I, I really began to trust that priest. And because of that, um, and because of just almost being fed up with my life, 
I went to a really like honest confession with him, yeah. which I think opened my heart to then receive the Lord. And so then in adoration that night, I didn't know what adoration was. I had this like this single momentary like just encounter with Christ. Like I knew that was Christ in the Eucharist. I knew that he just loved me for who I was. Mm. And that just changed, that just changed the trajectory of my life eternally, you know, for forever. Um, and, and yeah, so there was that kind of pivot from there, but that is the moment that I still fall back on daily. Like, no, he revealed himself. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, yeah just so sacred and beautiful. Yeah. You didn't know it at the time, but when you were the only student in the church with a bunch of focus missionaries, there's a big old target on you. <laughs> yeah. And I just wanted to be left alone and sit in some air conditioning, but you know. <laughs> oh gosh. What a blessing though. It's, I love how it sounds like the Lord had like prepared the way, you know, like there were, it's like even in the wounds and in the difficulties, like there's ways that God's providence used it to like prepare the way for his love. Um, mm-hmm. And like, he so carefully like placed these people in your life at certain times, at certain moments that like developed organically. It's like the point you were that day at mass to those missionaries building those relationships with you to what happened at Seek, or I don't know what they called the conference then, um, Mm -hmm. to like, you know, moving forward from there. But like just the the care of God's love, you know, that goes into um, preparing the way for that relationship. Is it so beautiful? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's in everything. He really is. You can look back. I mean, hindsight is a beautiful gift, you know, look back and see how he was there the whole time. Yeah. So I'm curious. So like you have your faith, but you're still an athlete. So then like, what was it like now following Jesus, but still like trying to compete and then be in that culture? Because I think there's a, there's a culture to athletics and probably even a more specific culture to female athletics that's, that like I don't think people have like a window into like they see the people playing the sport on television and they want them to do well but they're not like in the locker room um, so I'm curious like what was that culture like and then like what was it like trying to integrate as now somebody that lived your faith more fully into that space yeah you're right it's it's a well hidden culture right mm. because athletes are on display when yeah. they play their sport um, but you know, they always say it's like the play hard, party hard culture. It's extremely toxic. Mm. Um, you know, my freshman year, we were hazed. Uh, I'd say a third of my team was struggling with same sex attraction and, and would almost try to convince you or recruit, recruit you. Um, a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, a lot of promiscuity. Um, it's just this, there's so much pressure. And I mean, and that was, you know, what, 11 years ago now, I mean, there's even more pressure today on athletes like, gosh, with all the uh, social media, name, image, likeness, they can get sponsored. Like I, I mentor women today and, and just the the pressure is pretty extreme, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so but coming back, it was, you know, I had to take a step back almost for a little bit from the team as as I was formed deeper in my faith. But my heart like new and and again like my found and i say this to parents if there's any parents listening like trust the foundation you've laid for your child because my catholic foundation saved me and preserved me from so much like it could have been so bad looking back um so i was almost considered the good kid on the team but still wasn't perfect and still you know drank with the team and things like that um 
but you know, so I had to almost first take this step back and kind of reevaluate. But, but as my foundation became stronger in my faith, my heart just grew and couldn't help but want to share it with my team. Yeah. You know, it broke for them. And, and I think that's what motivates me still today. It broke for them because they didn't know who they were hmm. and they didn't know that they were loved. And so my goal became to love them. And for some of them, you know, that was inviting them to mass. Um, you know, like my senior year, we had three of us that prayed before games. By my fifth year, we had 12 yeah. um, that were in Bible study with me. You know, when I had my reversion, I was the only practicing Catholic or Christian on the team of 30 women. But to really begin to create and change that culture and invite the girls to alternate forms of fun, to pray with you, to go to mass, um, you really saw the culture change. But then there was the other girls that weren't ready for that. They weren't ready for that. And so my goal was to love them. And so I would be the kid that say, Hey, call me at 2am when you need a ride. You know, I would drop them at a party. I'd go to adoration and pray for them. And then I'd go pick them up. Um, every practice became an offering for them. I mean, by name per sprint or per rep in the weight room, I would just whisper their names and pray for their reversions and their conversions. Um, yeah, my heart was just moved towards them because I, I already had loved them, but now it was with Christ's love and I wanted them to know him. Um, yeah. yeah. I love that. I love the, I mean, so many people, I think they, they see where the culture is and they have, they, they keep, I think too much fear around it, you know, like it's contagious and without Jesus, it kind of is, but I love the image in the scripture of, um, that woman who has the hemorrhages and she touches Jesus and the power goes out from Jesus to heal her. And, you know, people were scandalized by that because obviously because of her state, like she was richly unclean and coming in contact with somebody who's richly unclean was supposed to make you unclean too. But like Jesus wasn't made unclean by contacting people, by contacting Jesus, others were made clean. Mm -hmm. right? So I think it's the same with us. Like when, when Christ is in us and we're working in the Holy Spirit, it's like the world doesn't make us unclean. Like we're emanating Christ out to the world. So there's, there's a, a posture. Aggression seems a little strong, but like we don't have anything to fear if, we're, if we have our full identity in Christ. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, I, and it seems like, like you brought Christ into that locker room and then like it emanated out from there. And that's so awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I had to learn to stay rooted, right? Like mm. I, I couldn't just, just go and do that all the time. You know, I had to have my foundation in, you know, daily mass and prayer and having a group of friends, you know, outside of soccer and through the kind of the Newman Center on campus um, so that I could stay, you know, pure and clean and good so that when I was walking into those situations, um, I could I could exemplify Christ. Um, something I love about that story, and it, it's kind of implied, I just learned this recently, but if you look at Mark, <clears throat> at the hemorrhaging woman a few chapters later i don't know what town christ is in but the people it says the people crowd, crowded around him just to be able to touch his cloak and be healed mm -hmm. and what's implied by that is that that woman who was healed the hemorrhaging woman must have then gone and told everybody just yeah. just touch his cloak you know because how else would people have known I, if i just touch his cloak i will be healed um and it's so beautiful it's it's that that yeah just that reality of when we encounter christ and he makes us pure and clean and heals us we can't help but share it uh 
And I love how she just, yeah, becomes this evangelist in that. When before she was ostracized from society, right? And now she's telling people about her healing. It's just beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, what was it like becoming a missionary? Because like when I left seminary, it started with getting a word for mission in prayer. And, and I realized that God was calling me on mission like here in the United States for the new evangelization. But then I started to get a word for marriage, right? And, and, and that's what kind of led to my discernment out to like now I'm married and we have kids and I work for the church. And, um, but when people think missionaries, they don't often think like send them to the college campus. Like they think send them to like Africa or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was it like becoming a, a missionary for college campuses? Sure. You know, it's interesting. While I was a missionary, I did spend some time in Calcutta, India. Hmm. I brought some college students with me for, we were there for five weeks. And, um, I mean, that's poverty. Like every day I'd see these two kids sleeping on the sidewalk, you know, with bricks as pillows. Like that is Hmm. utter poverty. Um, But even after my time in, in Calcutta, you know, volunteering with Mother Teresa's sisters, I was never more convinced that I was supposed to be a missionary in America. Because despite having nothing, quote unquote, um, materially, like there was just so much joy and community in these people. And Mother Teresa is is famous for saying that the spiritual poverty of of America or of the West is worse than the physical poverty of India. Yeah. Because we have a poverty where, you know, especially on the college campus, where, you know, students feel alone, they feel depressed, they feel like their lives don't matter, you know, in the day of of phones and social media, we've actually never been more isolated, more anxious. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, the college campus is this interesting place where these, these young people are trying to discover themselves, but also being highly influenced by a very toxic culture. Um, and so, yeah, it was such a privilege to be in that space with them to, to reveal to them that, yeah, they were loved. You know, uh, so it was its own poverty. It, it is its own poverty in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I especially think of like when you go to college, you're leaving your family, typically, not everyone, but there's this, this vulnerability that those young people have, right? Because, um, you know, they're no longer under the protection of their mom and dad or whatever protection they had when they were little, hopefully some. Um, and the, and, and the, but then there's also this opportunity because there's so much space in their life. Like the work I do now in evangelization, helping parishes, the question is like, how do you get a slice of people's life? Like people are so busy. They're so committed. They're mm-hmm. the between what they watch and what they do and uh, kids sports and everything else. Like it's just hard to get a critical mass of people's time to actually evangelize people. Um, but that's not such like a struggle on campus because <laughs> everyone shows up and doesn't have anything to do <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, other than the athletes. Um, who probably had that problem too. But I, I was just curious, what was that like then now going to campus, you're the missionary um, and, and you have this opportunity? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, right. It's like a microcosm a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, we were just able to be radically available and there was an issue with that, which we can talk about. Again, there wasn't a great physical, spiritual balance, which is one of the reasons, like you, I fight so much for that balance today. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, yeah, you do have time and space to, to be with people. I mean, athletes, it's a little bit tougher. I did a lot of outreach to athletes and, um, you have to be where they are and you have to work weird hours to be able to fit into their schedule. But, um, but that's what I committed to, you know, uh, some woman had, uh, given up two years of her life and my life was radically changed. And so I just had this thought, like if I, if I give up two years of my life, give up, that's not really the right word, but if I commit two years of my life to mission and I can touch somebody's heart in half the way she touched mine, it's worth it, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was just a gift to, to be in that space with them and to have that amount of time to, to invest in them. Yeah. Well, that in company that, that, that's what Jesus did too, right? Like he found 12 guys and they lived together for three years. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of like encountered that living together, that making space for one another. I often reflect on the fact that like Jesus was probably busy before his public ministry started. Like he was probably a pretty darn good carpenter <laughs> and probably had a lot of friends and family. And he had to literally like cancel his plans. He had to stop taking orders uh, in his workshop. He had to stop spending time with his friends and family in order to make the space in his life to form the apostles. Um, And it strikes me that that's like the heart of being a missionary is like making space in your life to to make other people uh, basically that kind of discipleship relationship. yeah. Uh, now pulling in then, you, you, you talked about how um, your encounter with theology of the body after a few years of being on mission and how that really helped you integrate um, what was going on with your personal transformation, what was going on being on mission, but also then uh, like being an athlete. And I'm curious, like what specifically about theology of the body um, helped you with that integration or, or, or really set mm-hmm. you on fire? my gosh, all of it. <laughs> it's such a deep and, and beautiful and profound teaching. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, I'll, I'll hit on a couple of principles. The first is that our being, our very being is gift. Mm. Yeah. Period. Like we've been created as gift and for gift. That's actually revealed in the sexual difference. Um, and, and the implication that our bodies are meant to come together in communion. So my very essence, my very nature is, well, one, I didn't ask to be, you know, I didn't ask to be created. Uh, so like who I am and who God created, um, like that is, that is just gift. It just is. Mm. Um, and then flowing from that is my life is, is meant to be a gift to other. And I kind of talked about that tension before within ministry. Um, I didn't know this, And so in the name of ministry, right, I did, 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 did. Hmm. And um, I was burnt out. I was overweight. I wasn't eating well. I wasn't exercising, you know, like in the name of mission. uh, And that's a pride thing. That's a do, do, do. That's actually very um, Protestant, actually, in its roots. Um, Whereas the essence of Catholicism, as revealed in metaphysics, is just this, this being this sense of being is enough and and when we can just be with other people and give ourselves as a gift for other people but flowing from my own sense of of gift and my own fullness of life um you know that overflow is then my my mission it just was a total kind of paradigm shift um 
so so and I could pause here, but that that would I guess be the kind of the foundational point. Yeah. Well, and I love that paradigm shift because it strikes me that so much about our like health culture today in athletic culture, we make the body into a tool. Right? We we use our body as a means to an end. And and it can look a lot like giving your body away, like on the surface, because you're because you're giving your time away, you're, you're sacrificing your energy, it hurts, it's difficult, you're trying really hard. But there's such a, a nuance to that when you say, well, well, why am I doing this, right? Am I just trying to look a certain way or accomplish something? Or, and really, I think it comes down to making the body into a means to an end, making an instrument, a tool of my, of my ends versus making it an end of itself, a good end of itself that we receive as a gift and then give back as a gift. Um, so I, I'm curious about that dynamic in your life too, of like, was there a shift you had to go through of like your relationship with your own body after being an athlete, um, that maybe you brought some of that mindset into your mission work that like mm-hmm. you weren't, you were kind of still using it as a tool, as a means to an end. And then like, mm-hmm. and then the shift of, of then like honoring it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is that is the the mindset and a lot of times amongst athletes because no matter what sport across the board what you use is your body yeah you know in order to compete i mean yes there's different equipment and all that but the but the universal is the human body and um it's interesting because you know i know that if i if i train if i run sprints if i lift weights i'm gonna get fitter and faster and stronger and so as a result, there can be this, well, I can just manipulate my body as a tool and it will help me succeed. But what that does, and actually an NFL player was quoted saying this, as he said, you know, I knew all this, but I never felt so disassociated from my body. Yeah. And we are a body soul union. That's what it means to be a human being. And when that division happens between body and soul, that is death. Like that wasn't meant to be. And you wonder why we have such a culture of death these days is we separate the body and soul. We think that, you know, we can do whatever to the body and it doesn't affect us. That's on a lot of levels. You know, I'm just gonna throw that out there let people imagine what that means. But um, I can do whatever I want to my body, um, but it doesn't affect me internally. And that's, that's so untrue. Nothing's ever casual, nothing's ever divided. We are a united being. Um, and so the realization of that, but also the realization of the, the sacredness and the beauty of my body, yeah. um, it really helped me like love, love my body, uh, rather than just view it as something that was, um, worth critique or something I could manipulate, um, or something that was bad. I mean, that's a common heresy in the church that the body is bad and the spirit's good. Um, it just led to this deeper integration within my own heart. Um, but then, I mean, that is such a common wound in athletes, especially female athletes. I mean, it's like 64% of ath- college athletes have some level of disordered eating. Now the, the, the percentage of diagnosable, um, you know, mental health diseases and things like that, um, bulimia, anorexia, that's a lot lower, but, but 64% to have some level of disordered eating, that that speaks to a problem right because you're using your body and so then the body becomes something you can manipulate um and it doesn't have an effect and then it just leads to this kind of bad cycle um and so that again that that realization of the beauty and the goodness of the body when i was able to then preach that and share that with women um that being kind of one of our main pillars of things that we share with women 
that that was having really beautiful and healing and still does implications yeah yeah one of the the transitions i've had to go through is like what does it look like uh to live an integrated life in my life now right i'm married we have a couple kids and um and I work full time. I do things like this on the side. And, and so the question is, like, what does health look like for me? Um, and I'm curious, like, in the life you're in now and the work you do, like, what, what does your, the kind of like pillars of your routine look like for, for your health and your holiness? Hmm. Sure. Well, as a staff, so we have three members on our staff. Um, we're committed to daily holy hour mass, rosary, and workout. Um, and all of those we consider part of our work day, uh, because especially with the workout piece, um, one, when I work out, I am way more efficient when I go actually do work, but two, um, all our workouts are, um, are offered up for fierce and for the women that we work with. So it's actually a way that we pray. Um, but those pillars, right. That, um, you know, and then we also kind of have, you know, the, the just mental formation and things are often, you know, reading a book together or um, checking in, right? Um, you know, again, I've spent the last, you know, six years running this really fighting that do, do, do mentality. Even though I'm an extremely active, love to be on the go type person, um, because of that, uh, I run really hard. I travel the country. I have to build in rest. You know, I wasn't given a lot of rest. Uh, one, as an athlete, maybe, but two, uh, as a missionary, I just, it, it didn't happen. I didn't prioritize it. I wasn't told to prioritize it. And so, um, you know, like I'm coming off just a, a crazy trip, the last crazy trips the last two weeks. I think I've been in like four states and a bunch of different talks. And so it's like, okay, I have to make sure that I'm taking a few days to just recover, just to reestablish my base. Um, because again, and I, I love this, I think this is St. Bernard of Clairvaux, but he says that, um, we're supposed to be a reservoir, not a channel. Hmm. And so many people in mission are channel, right? Their, their, their spiritual life and things just flow through them and empty. Um, but we're called to be a reservoir. We're called to fill up. And then our, our, our mission is the overflow. Hmm. And so that, that deep interior life, I'm going to shout out book right now. I'm rereading it. Um, it's called the soul, of the apostolate. Yeah. And I read it when I was a missionary and man, God always takes us deeper, but I wasn't living it as, as much as he's calling me to live it now. Um, but like th our deep interior life, our deep encounter daily, multiple times a day with God, like all our mission has to flow from that. Um, and, and that's, that's the only way to really, um, you know, I, I guess, uh, have confidence that, that the mission's going to succeed. Uh, and again, you know, succeeding is defined differently, I think by the Lord, but I've been so convicted lately of that yeah. and it's been really, really good to focus yeah. on it. What does rest look like for you? Like, what do those days look like, uh, when you're recovering? Mm. You know, it's funny. Uh, my parents live at the beach. Oh, nice. So I try to get there every six to eight weeks and rest for me is not sitting around all day. Yeah. It's, it's doing life giving things. Like I have a very active family. So we're out 
biking and then we're playing pickleball and then if it's warm out we're swimming and then like we're just very active but my heart is in a state of rest i'm not constantly thinking about all my to-dos um i'm taking like deep prayer time uh i'm just like doing things that bring me life hmm. i try to do something that brings me life every day you know prayer and working out does that but when i kind of step back and i step into beauty and i have this this place of like, I can just be, and I can release. Um, it's, it's almost this posture rather than, Oh, I'm just idle all day, you know? Cause that's not, that's not how I rest if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like that true idea of leisure. Um, you know, like classically like studying was considered a leisure activity. <laughs> um, but like, how does our culture handle that? It's like, we just, we just bring that same kind of rise and grind mindset into the, the classroom and people will talk to like, Oh, you're a student. So like going to school is your job. <laughs> um, but, but classically it was such a different perspective of like, well, this is an opportunity to rest and to discover truth. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and this is, this is how I spend a lot of my rest time is like, I read books that other people would probably find really boring, <laughs> but like, <laughs> because of, of the way that my mind was trained studying philosophy and theology. Like my, I rest in that. Like it, it gives me life mm -hmm. to pick up, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas or John Paul II or von Hildebrand or someone like that. Um, and, and it renews me versus like if I sit down and, you know, turn on a YouTube video and click on the next video and go to the next one. Like I'm just like, I just feel more empty at the end of that time. In both cases, I've been sitting on a chair <laughs> But, but like the emotional and, and spiritual difference at the end of, you know, an hour of one versus the other is like night and day. Um, so as you were saying that I was just imagining like a beautiful day at, at that, your parents' home, um, just like full of that rich goodness of life. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, so shifting into, um, into the work you do. I know like fierce athletes, a lot about integrating femininity and athleticism, like true femininity. Mm -hmm. and I'm curious, like, what are the, like, what are the principles that you teach on when you're working with female athletes to help them like see themselves as like a true daughter of God and, and understand their mm -hmm. feminine value, but also, you know, obviously like they still want to win the championship. <laughs> um, so like there also has to be like a competitive edge mm -hmm. to being a daughter of God. Uh, sure. so I'm just curious, like, what are the principles you bring in, uh, when you're doing your trainings and teachings? Yeah. Well, I'll start with Mary as our model. <clears throat> we don't talk about the fierce side of Mary enough, but she's yeah. the fiercest woman that ever lived. We just made shirts that said this, the fiercest woman that ever lived. And, it, and when we, and we have her pick, depicted barefoot stepping on a serpent, right? Like she crushes the head of Satan. Um, but she's also the most tender woman that ever lived. There's this beautiful unity of the two. And I think that is really what embodies um, womanhood. And so when we look at, when we look at, I'll first talk about competition, but then I'll talk about femininity. When we look at competition, um, you know, oftentimes our view of competition is, is not a virtuous one. Mm -hmm. uh, and how we live out competition is not a virtuous one, but I think competition has the um, ability to be virtuous. Um, the kind of the unvirtuous view of, of um, competition is this idea that, well, I need to beat you to get ahead. And this 
this riddles like it's all i mean it's in our society but especially amongst women there's so much comparison there's so much competition against each other um and, and yeah and it's this sense of yeah i have to step step on you in order to get ahead i have to pull you back uh i have to wish that you won't do well um so that i can be on top uh, that's that's not it, right? That's not valuing the human person. Um, you know, I use the example for my girls of, you know, say you're a soccer player. You know, it's it's a lot more fun to play a game that's like back-to-back and tied and goes into overtime and you might lose than it is to play a game where you win six, seven, eight, nothing. Like, it just, it, it's more fun when it's competitive um, because... Uh, true competition is is hoping that the other person on your team or the other team shows up ready to play their best because that is going to challenge you to be and to play your best. And so you, you don't you actually wish that the other does well. Um, you know this this is true com- competition in our lives. Like we need people around us that are going to push us to be the best we can be or, and are going to celebrate with us um, our quote unquote success. Um, so, so in that regard, you know, I I say to women, of course you should be competitive. You're not called to be a doormat. You're not called to be soft. You're actually knowing who you are and the gifts of your salvation you've been given by God. Your only response is to be the best you can be in everything that you do to give the ultimate effort. Um, because you've been given this gift, one of your salvation, but two of your athleticism. And the way to say thank you is to honor the Lord with that fully. So that's the first. The second is femininity, right? It's this big word. And we live in a a society due to the feminist movement and wanting to really nullify the gender, the sexual difference, um, that there's a lot of confusion surrounding femininity. And, you know, you you can't tell because I'm sitting down, but I'm six feet tall. And, um, you know, I have kind of big muscles from rowing and soccer. And and so I always believe this lie that I wasn't feminine. Hmm. Because I looked at, you know, the standard of, of quote unquote womanhood, tall, skinny, you know, um, and I didn't I didn't fit that mold. But that's a lie because mm-hmm. I mean, it's be so careful with our language these days. But the fact that I was biologically created a woman, this is very countercultural right now. But the fact that I was biologically created a woman makes me feminine in my whole being. And I can't do anything to change that because I just am. That's how God created me. That's how he wanted to create me. He did not make a mistake. He wanted me to be a woman. Um, now my body as a woman reveals what that means. Mm-hmm. So, you know, men, and if we look at the sexual difference, our bodies reveal our souls. Um, and, and so men in, in, in the sexual act, they're external, they're the giver, they're the initiator. So the height of masculinity revealed through the male body is sacrifice. Jesus is a perfect model of this on the cross, right? But this is also why men love Braveheart. They just do. Now, now what we love, again, Bishop Burbage says this, has no um, bearing on our, our sexual difference, right, on our gender, uh, even though the world says it does. We, we all have different interests. We all have particular expressions. Um, but, but women, you know, in the sexual act, we are receptive and then we have this ability to bear forth and nurture life. So the height of my femininity as a woman is my receptivity and then my ability to bear forth life. My, our perfect model as women is Mary. 
She received the call to have Christ. She received the call in the height of her suffering at the cross to become our mother. Uh, but this is why women love princesses typically. They want to be seen and known and received. Um, but they also have this ability to identify with others. So, you know, one day I'm on the rowing machine, which is no, no cakewalk. Uh, I have a love hate relationship with the rowing machine. And I'm thinking about this and I'm like, I'm receiving on this rowing machine, my suffering and I'm offering it as a prayer. I'm bearing life. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, every time my own particular expression, but every time I work out, I'm exercising my receptivity, whether to suffering or to my teammates and I'm bearing forth life in my own way. And so I'm being feminine. I'm exercising my femininity every time I play my sport, every time I work out. Um, and so it kind of just combated this lie and, and allowed me to really embrace that deeper. And so I try to help women realize that, that, that truth, that they are feminine, that they're allowed to be competitive. Uh, they should be. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, virtuously, I guess, how to live that out. Yeah. Yeah. That, that starting with the image of Mary is so profound. The, um, my, my wife recently led a retreat and she used the reflections from the abiding together podcast on the visitation. And they brought up this point so beautifully that like in that interaction, if, 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 if it was uh, kind of a broken femininity, you could imagine like a jealousy, like Elizabeth thinking like, Oh, you're like, God gave you your baby so much younger, like mm. your baby's God. Mine is just John the Baptist. Like there's, there could have been all these like weird dynamics between the two, but like the way that they receive one another as gift and then that they like magnify God in their reception of one another as gift and then giving themselves back out and then the overflow and the fruit of their wombs. Um, it's just such a beautiful image. And I couldn't help but think of that as you were talking about that image of female athletes like competing with one another for the glory of God and for the height of the competition um, versus like a more competitive vision of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So as you're working uh, with people, I, I love that idea of offering up your exercise, right? The other thing that hit me as you were talking was like, that's the difference between just being a female entrepreneur and being a spiritual mother is, is this, um, this kind of bringing, bearing life into the world through the work that you're doing. Um, and I'm curious, like when, when you work with people, like what are other like practical tips you give them for like when they exercise of a way to like carry this integrated version of, of, uh, of the person into uh, their exercise? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, we have to first and foremost realize that exercise is a gift to us. Uh. Um, and this is anything we do. It's first and foremost for us and our own sanctification. Uh, and so receiving that, like my mission work, it's first and foremost for my own sanctification. The, the, the truths that I preach are things that I need to hear. Yeah. Um, but yes, then secondarily, whatever we do can become gift. Uh, that's our that's our call. That's our nature. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I encourage women, um, you know, one to to first and foremost have that sense of gratitude. Uh, I think amidst, you know, all the pressures they face, and all the hard workouts and all everything that they deal with, you know, they can become a little disgruntled. 
Hmm. Um, so just reminding them first and foremost that the opportunity they have that they've worked for that they've been given is a gift. And, and there are a lot of women that would, that would love to have, to have the opportunities because the reality is, is not everybody is great athletic. Not everybody gets to play college sports or pro sports, whatever level we're talking about. Um, so there's that sense of, of first and foremost gratitude. Um, you know, the second is that, that it can be a gift. And so picking, um, intentions, you know, like right now I'm working with a a college track runner and she's, you know, she's struggling. She's a distance runner. Hmm. She's struggling to get through her, her, I mean, these are like three K five K 10 K races around a track. Like they're long. She's struggling to be competitive that whole time and not to want to like give in or, um, you know, and so we've talked about this, you know, picking intentions every five laps, have a new intention, restart your race, um, and, and run as hard as you can those five laps for that intention. You know, that is your, that is your offering. We, we can, we can really offer our suffering up, um, for others in that way. Um, and this can be anything in life. This could be, I have to fold laundry. This can be, I have to study for three hours. This can be, you know, everything again, like you said, can become an act of spiritual motherhood where we're offering for those, our teammates or our kids or our friends or our family, um, those that we don't know, um, then that, that gift of self is really exercised. And, and on our masculine side, like that is sacrifice. Uh, that is sacrificing yourself, uh, laying down your life for others you know, so this isn't just for, for women. Like we're, we're all called to do this in our lives. Hmm. I'm, I'm really passionate about resistance exercise. And Hmm. when I talk to women about lifting weights or doing calisthenics or whatever, I hear again and again, like, I don't want to get bulky. Uh, And I just think it's like, it's crazy because like people spend their whole life and like energy and like work their butt off and eat perfect just to like gain muscle. So, so like, there's this myth out there that like people are going to accidentally get really big, um, which <laughs> is absurd. Uh, but I think like resistance exercise is so essential for long-term health, you know, bone density, muscle strength, integrity of tendons. Like, like I think everyone should be doing some squats or, or something like it. <laughs> um, like if you want to be moving in your eighties, there isn't really a, another good way to get there. Um, so I was just, wonder if you could comment on like the idea of like females resistance exercise, this idea that we could accidentally just get really big and bulky. Um, but then like the importance of resistance exercise for overall health. Mm, sure. Yeah. I mean, again, there's a stigma that when you say squat, a lot of people think max squat, loading it up and max squatting. It's like, yeah. that's not even great for long-term health. If you're doing that all the time, you know, uh, if you want to build to that, great. But yeah, you're, you're totally right. It's if you really want to bulk up and gain muscle, it takes uh, <laughs> it takes significant time building up to heavy weightlifting, but a very significant amount of protein. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. Like we, you know, we and we often think, oh, I want to I want to lose weight or I want to be fit. I'm just going to do a ton of aerobic work. And that actually doesn't work either. Yeah. Um low impact, even low weight, high rep, um, meaning you're not lifting a ton of weight, but you're doing a lot of reps with it. Uh, like that is so good. Like you said, for our longevity. And and I agree, everybody should be doing that. You know, I, 
I physically and spiritually train women, um, some from a distance and some in person. And so I'm actually writing workouts for them. And the majority of what I give people is, is some type of resistance or weight training. Um, you know, we integrate in other forms too. Um, but that is so good for longevity. And I think a lot of people today, right, they're into um, high intensity interval training all the time, CrossFit, those things. And again, those aren't bad, but it has to be a balance because otherwise you're training your body to live off cortisol. If it's all high intensity all the time with anything in life, it's, it's a balanced approach. Yes. Do the aerobic. Yes. Do the weight training. Yes. Eat healthy. Actually the number one reducer of stress is sleeping seven to eight hours a night. Um, all of these things are, are super important for, for our longevity and, and for our spiritual life. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I first saw you in a talk you gave with, uh, our Sunday visitor, their innovation series. I'll link it in the, the show notes. But in that talk, you said this line that just like struck me to the heart. You said, you are not something to fix. You are someone to honor. You're not someone to fix. You're someone to honor. And when I heard that, it struck me on a couple levels. One, I think even in our like quest for holiness and virtue, we can, we can approach ourselves with this like fundamental posture that like I'm a problem that needs to be fixed. I'm a wound that needs to be healed versus like I'm, I'm a son of God who needs to be loved and like that's what's going to heal me. Um, but also like how we bring this into our exercise. So that line, you are not someone to fix, you are someone to honor. I was curious, like what does that mean for you personally? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think you just said it. What is, what is my motivation behind taking care of myself, behind hmm. working out, behind sleeping well, behind eating well, behind praying daily? Um, yeah, I'm not. And, and I use the word something to fix because it's almost dehuman. Yeah. It's just that I'm some problem to fix or I'm some just something. Uh, I don't have like eternal worth and I'm not unique. But someone, right, when I view, when I realize that my body is sacred and holy and so is my soul and I've been designed um, before, you know, the universe even existed, I was a thought. I was designed in the mind of God, um, then I want to honor myself. And so I, I use the example of, okay, you want to lose 10 pounds. Well, why? Is it because you think that you need to fix something about yourself, that you'll be prettier or um, get more attention? Or you know, Again, that's, that's your, your, I have to fix something about me. You don't have to fix anything about you. You are good. Yes, we're striving to grow and towards holiness, but you are already good. Now, if you realize I could lose 10 pounds because that is a way to honor my body, to honor my soul, to be healthier, that is you honoring yourself. And so the result of that, unlike something to fix, which is anxiety and giving up on fad diets, you know, the, the, the result of I am someone to honor is a, is a peace. Um, there's a commitment there because we realize our own goodness. And flowing from that is this desire to honor, honor our goodness, but to honor the Lord and, and, you know, in him is our creator by really taking care of, of ourselves. So it, it's a slight shift, but I think it has such implications as to our motivation behind, I mean, really anything in life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally that, that slight shift, but that's, that's also like the way that the gift of faith modifies the intellect uh, and like changes the end of everything. It's like we need to carry that 
into every domain. Um, you know, this is, we have such like a disintegrated approach sometimes of, you know, like I, I remember one time thinking that like, oh, like I'm going to, uh, sort of like pray and that's my spiritual work and then I'll exercise and that's my physical work. And it's just such a crazy idea. It's like, what isn't physical about prayer and what's not spiritual about, about exercise? You know, like I'm a body soul composite who's a person. Um, so like every time I pray, I'm using my body and every time I exercise, I'm using my soul. And I just had these like weird buckets in my head <laughs> where it was all separate. And it, uh, I realized how crazy it was, but that's, I think, just comes out of our culture. Um, so as we're ending up here, Sam, I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit about, like, what practically does Fierce Athlete do? Like, you're, it sounds like you're coaching um, young women, but maybe there's some coaches out there um, listening to the podcast. Maybe there's some athletes out there listening to the podcast, uh, school administrators, um, like, like what could you bring um, to the table for these organizations and these teams uh, as a way to bless them in the kingdom? Sure. So I'd encourage people to visit our website, fierce.org. Um, and that'll bring you to a landing page for Fierce Athlete uh, and, and also our new branch, Fierce Coach. So for, for coaches specifically, we are actually developing a whole new branch and formation um, because, I mean, coaches outside of parents and young athletes' lives are the most influential people. Yeah. And that can be on a positive side or, unfortunately, as I've heard so many horror stories, on the negative side. And so we are really trying to provide resources to help form coaches um, and, and to give them resources of how to deal with all the things coming their way um, when, it, when it comes to their female athletes. Um, and then on the Fierce Athlete side, uh, we also have a podcast, the Fierce Athlete Podcast, that's probably our widest resource. Um, I do do one-on-one -on -one mentorship, uh, whether that's a, a kind of a, a, a mental, spiritual training together, talking every week, or there's actually a physical element um, where I'm in person if they're close or from a distance, giving people workouts and integrating the two. Um, but then, I'm, I mean, I'm out all around the country working in different colleges and high schools <clears throat> and a little bit of middle schools um, speaking uh, on basically everything we just talked about and more, um, running retreats for teams and athletes and coaches, um, and then doing, uh, depending on the setting, sometimes what I call, um, basically it's, it's a marriage between, uh, physical working out with athletes and, and a retreat. So we run these clinics where, you know, I'm working athletes out and teaching them different principles to apply to their workouts, to apply to their games. Um, but then uh, we're having talks in small groups. Um, we're going to be doing elite training week this summer for college athletes. So if they're female college athletes, we're doing this for a week together. Um, pilgrimages are coming up and, and all sorts of things. So we're ever growing. Oh, and then the last thing is we, um, we're beta testing it right now, but come probably May, we'll release a course for athletes who are retiring, mm. um, which is just such a interesting pain point in an athlete's life. And so, um, yeah, we're going to have a, a course and, and kind of community surrounding that. Yeah. I'll, 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 so I'll, I'll kind of break that out in the show notes with all the different links. So if you hear anything there that strikes you of interest, just go over the show notes and you can find the links there. Sam, you also have a book coming out soon, Be Fierce, The Athlete's Guide to Growing Physically, Mentally, 
and spiritually. And that'll be available on your website and on Amazon. But, but really quick, what, like what's the, the kind of core of the book? I mean, a lot of what we talked about, we start with identity, but then we're integrated persons. So we talk about not just training the physical side, but also the mental. Um, we didn't talk so much about that today, but it's a huge component. Um, it also affects our body soul. Uh, so we talk about kind of what I call holy mental toughness and what that looks like. Um, and then, yeah, how to, how to live an integrated spiritual life um, within, within the athletic sphere. So... Yeah, well, we'll make sure that's in the show notes too, and we'll uh, send thanks. out updates once it's published and everything. But, but Sam, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, for thanks being, for having me. Thanks for being a gift to the church, to me today, to, to everyone that listens, and for the work you do. And um, yeah, I'm just, I think you're, you're doing such important work in such an area of need. Um, like you said, it's kind of a niche area, but it, it, I think that's good. You know, you can't be all things for all people. So, um, you know, I, I just imagine. I, and I hope that, that this is something that can spread to all of our Catholic schools, grade schools, high schools, colleges, and, and all those uh, Catholic athletes that are out there around the country trying to compete in difficult environments. Um, so I just pray blessings on, on your work. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, Andrew, for having me. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awakened Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.